Welcome to Back on the Broomstick, a modern witch's spoken word grimoire, where two witchy friends from way back are reconnecting to their pagan roots after a long period of mundanity. We're rewalking the path of the wise and trying out all the latest spells, rituals, and magical theory in today's witchcraft and pagan practices. So grab your wand and your incense, your cauldron and your crystals, and join us as we get Back back on on the Broomstick. Welcome to Back on the Broomstick. I'm Layla. And I'm Shell. And today we have the absolute pleasure to be talking to Jamie Della. For those of you that aren't familiar with Jamie, she is an ordained priestess. She's authored nine books, one of them being the Book of Spells, The Magic of Witchcraft, as well as the Wicca Cookbook. And she is just an amazing person. And we are going to talk about a new book that is coming out September 26th called A Box of Magic. And this book made me want to live her story. So, Jamie, we welcome you to the show and we would like you to just Tell us a little bit about you. Tell our listeners a little bit about you. Well, thank you so much for that intro. I mean, you can see me. I'm like, oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Just feeling feeling this camaraderie already. We were talking for about 10, 15 minutes. We're like, we need to hit record. Right. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, my name is Jamie Della. My first books were under Jamie Wood. That was my married name. And after I got divorced, I always wanted to change the name and I couldn't figure out what I would go to. My middle name is Della, which is after my maternal grandmother who died the month before I was born and is the first person I met on the other side. The first beginning of knowing that you can speak to people on parallel universes, whether that's your grandmother who has died or the spirit of a tree. So that, that became my beginning. So instead of being when I decided to change my name, instead of being Jamie de la Luna, Jamie de la Tierra, Jamie de la Montañas, I said, you know what? I'm going to stop right there. I've had five different last names because of stepdads, you know, other dads being husbands. I stand up for the goddess. I stand up for the matriarchy and the divine feminine. And so I'm just going to stick with Jamie Della in honor of the divine feminine in honor of this grandmother. I love that. And so that's, that's a little bit, that gives you a little inkling of who I am (laughs) a little fierce for the, for the woman, a little fierce for my herstory. And it also turned out that my mother, it helps that my grant, my mother's matriarchal line is so fabulously interesting that my next book is going to be about them because they, when I moved, when I was nine years old, as some of us tend to wake up and Mm -hmm. start to really I read in your book that you think nine years old is kind of that age where yeah. you have that ability to to wake up. Yeah. And I feel, and that was introduced to me by Rudolf Steiner through my kids going to a Waldorf school. Uh-huh. So this idea that at nine years old is when we realize that we are separate from our parents. We aren't like a single unit and even, you know, and not everyone had that experience, but you, you start to feel the, the meanness of right, yourself, right. you know, and not so much the 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 unit that you belong to, whatever that is. And then you also start realizing certain things that maybe there isn't a Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny and all these stories you've been told, you start to enter this logic and you see people kind of taking to their bedrooms and mm-hmm. and reading and then they keep it really quiet and then you lay down at night with them and a nine-year-old will go <gasps> And this would happen all day. And then you're like, whoa, 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 because they're 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 processing what it means to wake up. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, that first experience was moving to a location where my ancestors had lived over 250 years, hearing their voices and not knowing what that was. And 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 I had another nana, which was just, you know, sometimes we get boons in our life. And I had one that was like a grandma Coco and the other one who was a psychic tarot reader who was this fabulous woman, bigger than life, wore silk printed moos, and she had been a Birmingham Southern belle, but decided to skip all of that to be a wild woman, just like the rest of us. I love but doing that. that. I mean, yeah. And doing that in the 1930s or forties is, is different than doing it today. Very different. It, it takes a lot of strength. It took a lot of strength in the thirties for her to do that. I imagine to, especially in the South to be a, a woman oh, and yeah. reading tarot in the South had to offend quite the experience. She must have had a big personality to get away with that. <laughs> you you do. And and if she didn't get away with it, she would threaten things like, 
you know, one time when she would get, when my, this grandmother, this is the grandmother, my Nana, who taught me about 1111. I'm eight years old. She says, yes, you have a bright spirit and that bright spirit's going to attract people who want to talk to you. Yes. But, but you are the one in a body. You Mm -hmm. are the one having the physical experience. So you have the autonomy to tell them to get out because you are human and you are carnal and visceral and they are not. So, so you have dominion. I absolutely love that you have this relationship with your grandmothers. One thing I wanted to point out about that particular part of what you were saying that I find interesting is I feel like people connect with grandparents that have passed first. If you have a grandparent that has passed and is on the other side and you start having these visions or hearing things or seeing things and making that connection with the other side, it's always a grandparent. I feel yeah. if that if you've had a grandparent pass at that point, almost like they have some like paternal parent obligation. Okay, now <laughs> that you can see that we're here, I have to be the one to break it to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I agree. And I feel what's cool about that is, or at least, you know, I've been my first book came out in 2000. So I've I've had 23 years of learning how to talk about magic in public in learning how to how to bridge the gap between what we know and what is visceral and what has been propagandized. So this idea of looking at our grandparents and having a conversation with them, you could be Catholic, you could be Protestant, you could be Buddhist, you could be, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be a witch to think that that's a thing. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a good point. Just a shared experience with Shell and I and with you and with other witches that I've spoken to is that a lot of times these grandparents or elders in our lives were very, very witchy and very pagan. Like you said, your grandmother taught you about 1111. Our grandparents Mm -hmm. taught us about, you know, what it means when a fork falls or that you're supposed to throw salt over your shoulder, you know, to ward off bad spirits. And my grandmother introduced me to tarot and to talking to spirits, Mm -hmm. but she was a Christian. And, but this was the other side of her. This was the spiritualist side of her. And Mm -hmm. she would never have said she was a witch ever. You know, that was not a word she would use. Uh, Shell's grandmother's like that, you know, and, and I imagine your grandmother also would not have said that she was a witch, but she still had these, these witchy tendencies, yeah, right, witchy tendencies, or being part of the archetype of of a witch, you know, if that's easier for people. But I think that's part of why that's why I've always pushed so hard because people have asked me like, how was that, you know, in two thousand standing in a Barnes and Noble and saying you're a witch, mm-hmm. you know, like today. It was it was hard. It was like, why did you do it? That was one thing I kind of wanted to to have us touch on because we have had such a similar story in the exact same time frame. You know, Layla and I, we we hooked up what, Layla? Ninety six, ninety seven, something yeah, like right that. Around there. You know, that's kind of about the time where you were doing the same things. And mm-hmm. Layla and I happened to also work at the same place together for a while. And her and I would show up with our pentacles and we didn't care. And we were treated badly, Mm -hmm. badly at the employer. And it was rough being out of that broom closet back Mm -hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s. We know kind of where our our paths led us back into the closet, kind of. But what kind of made you pull away for a while that made you to a point where now you're kind of quote unquote back on the broomstick. Right. <laughs> I wanted to be on the podcast and say that. So that was why, you know. <laughs> uh, divorce. Divorce and have and, and being a single mom. Preach yeah. it, sister. I hear yeah. you. Know, yeah. Hearing so it you. was it was from the 1999 when I first started writing the book, but 2000 up into 2010, the first eight books were. I was, you know, just popping them out. And then, then about that 2009, 2010 is when people started talking about books just going online and, and, and the publishing industry, you know, really having a hard time and independent publishing coming out and the market getting flooded and self-publishing, self-publishing. And, and so, so that really changed the landscape and then just getting tired. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I used to go to this one, uh, witch shop in Long Beach and the owner would complain about, you know, the goddess, where is she? I'm doing all this for her and I'm bringing down $30,000 a year and I'm opening up this witch shop and I'm holding it, this space for her to step in and to rise up. 
and I don't, and I'm on the margins and barely affording my rent. Right. And I, you know, I thought, yeah, that, you know, in that perfect world, it's like the minister doesn't need to get paid. Well, the witch (laughs) does need to get paid. You know, we'd still like, we can't good intentions. And, and, you know, I also believe that the collective consciousness was very dense at that time. So fighting it was a lot harder and it took a lot of us just consistently doing it and showing up. And even though you would feel that, that stink, like I had my, one of my books in 2009, 2010, um, Rogelia's house of magic was a young adult book that I had written about um, a curandera and three. It's kind of like the sister to the traveling pants meets Harry Potter, but they're Hispanic. I love you that. Know? <laughs> and so, and so, um, and someone at uh, junior high school, the vice principal or the high school ordered 50 books for me to, to bring for their honor students. And it was because it was based in the same town in Orange County, California. And they thought it'd be cool that they were talking about a shop that's just in downtown and whatnot. Well, then someone found out on the board, on the school board, that I had written all these uh, nonfiction books, the Wicca cookbook, the teen spell book, the Wicca mm-hmm. herbal, all these things said that this wasn't a fictionalized account. This was a real witch telling a real story. Right. And, and they pulled the trigger and they said, I, I'm sorry, you need to come pick up your books. Really? We can't do this anymore. Oh, wow. And wow. I was, I was steaming. I'm, I'm Latina. So I had like, my hair was way up here. I was so pissed. But probably also hurt. And hurt because it was, <laughs> I remember ta- calling him. I said, okay, Dean, you're a white male in position. And you're asking me to fall on my sword, a little brown woman for you. Mm. You want me to fall on my sword for you when you have all the advantages. I called him out. I made him, I did everything I could, you know, and by to make him feel so small, but I went and got the books anyways. And, and then I have a sticker on there that says I read banned books. Cause now I have a banned book. So piss off patriarchy. Right. You know what? <laughs> I, I am, I am honored to be speaking to an author with a banned book. I know. <laughs> Can I just say that? Isn't that awesome? That, is that part's good. Cool. So, so why did I keep going? Well, my mother was, I'm going to date myself and maybe just the three of us will know. If you ever saw Norma Ray. So my mom marched, my mom was a teacher. She started every revolt for, um, the, uh, for our, for raises and and whatnot. And she was just a fighter going to the democratic conventions, you know, marching for women from the seventies on equality. And so gender equality. So I never, any equality, sorry, any equality. Yeah. I, I was just recognizing like, that's just what you do. You just fight for what you believe in. Right. And for me fighting to be a witch was what I did until I got tired. And until the road kind of closed in front of me and you're like, oh, huh, there's no blood, more blood in this turnip. You know, I need to, I need to go somewhere that's going to feed my soul and feed my children. And mm-hmm. so I did that. And then, um, so I did that from 2010 on, I just stopped writing books and just tried to do the office thing. And I'd have a job for a couple of years and then I'd quit very ceremoniously. And then I'd like try to do the, try to do the independent thing and just kind of go, I guess my book career is dead mm-hmm. and kind of an Eeyore thing, not realizing that social media was picking it up where I wasn't paying attention that Instagram and, you know, eventually TikTok TikTok and Facebook and all this was, was building up the industry. And I didn't know, I didn't pay attention. I turned my back on it all, you know, bitter as the, as the store owner, you know, I, I did everything I could and the goddess didn't show up for me kind of a feeling. Sure. And then, or did, did you do the thing that I did? I'm too old for TikTok. Oh, I'm... definitely. And, and also I, yeah, I was in marketing, but public relations to me was corporate social responsibility. It wasn't about TikTok views. That's not why I got educated in that path. The times As, they have a change. Exactly. So I didn't realize this. And so what happened was I had my sons moved out. I moved up to the mountains. I, and uh, they went on to college and I was menopausal, um, empty nest. Uh, what's the other one that I isolated because I moved to sure. a mountain town left like 700 people um, used to this big Mexican family. And suddenly I was alone with my man who liked to work more than I realized. And then the publisher called me and said, you know, Jamie, would you consider updating the, the teen spell book in 2018? They called me and said, would you like to do this? And they said, witchcraft is really getting popular. I'm like, oh, is it? 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's this thing called witch talk now, like two million. I'm like, really? You know, and I, I didn't know. I was the country. I call Layla and I'm like, is witch talk like TikTok? Are they similar? And she laughed at me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's wild how our lives have these cycles, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and you go into the fullness of life and, and you start writing books and Shell and I were teaching classes and doing workshops on the East mm-hmm. Coast and trying to educate people at the same time. And we were very involved. You were very involved and, and mm-hmm. fighting the good fight at a time when it was right. very difficult to stand up. You had books out. I mean, when we first started, there were very few books out in the the mid 90s. You know, there was almost nothing. And no, I know. So to be a person to have that strength was fantastic. But here we are, fullness of life, doing the witch thing. And then comes a time to go within. You know, you kind of pull back from that for different reasons and take care of your family, take care of yourself. You know, find, like you Mm -hmm. said, there's no more blood in that turnip. You need to refuel yourself, refill your soul. And mm-hmm. now's the time to come back out again. And you received that call through your publisher who was like, we need you again. You know, things are rising. Witchcraft is rising right now. And and yeah. voices like yours are needed. And it was it was so cool. One of the other things, because I love serendipity more than anything. It's one of my favorite things when the because I like I'm a good I'm a storyteller. So I like a good bookend. You know, drop me a hint, give me a little something, and then like wrap it up in the end. So I love that the book of spells, which be, which is what I took the teen spell book and I took out everything that was related to just being a teenager, but kept everything that began as a teenager. Maybe the first time you really dealt with loneliness or depression or how do you fit in or not fit in? How do you know all the things that begin as we begin to adult mm-hmm. that begin at that impressionable age, um, but last for our whole lives. And I love the fact that those two books are 18 years apart, wow. the, a full adult. I love that the book grew up and is no longer a teenager because I got that invitation too. that um, the, the uh, you know, you put out this call and the universe said that with the teen spell book, I was reading Louise Hay, some affirmation about, you know, letting go of your teenage angst and, and moving on. I'm like, whatever. My mom <laughs> still, you know, I still had so stories that I was holding. Yeah. I was still holding on to the mommy stories, you know, I was still holding on to all these things. And I thought I am not going through my Saturn's return into my thirties, carrying this bag with me. And that's why I wrote the teen spell book. And then as it revived, it became the most important thing was to empower people because to me, a spell book should look like a cookbook where there's parts of it that you, at least that's me. And I, I don't like to shit on people. So it's just the way I decided to put it together. But that you give some explanation of the correspondences that you like cinnamon's going to be like this and flour is going to do this and this is going to happen at high altitude, you know, and these are all the tools that you'll work with. This is what like the old Betty Crocker books, The Joy of Cooking, that like in the beginning had all like how to like what I I like what you did is you're like, well, I could use an athame or you could use some garden shears, whatever you want to bless for your intentions. I'm like, I love that. Yes. Well, I just, you know, I felt like like we were saying earlier, 20 years ago, what was available was Wicca, right? Like that's what most of us saw. And then right. I noticed when the book of spells, people came commented like, Oh, it's just a Wicca book. I'm like, did I not mention that? Like, <laughs> did I fail to mention that? <laughs> like it's your, but after that, it's your interpretation, right? You know, whatever cuts, whatever blade you need is the blade you have. And, and that athame could even, you know, be a pencil, but you're, I mean, for me, I never had an athame. I just wasn't drawn to get that tool. Mm-hmm. And then recently I bought one and now I have it, but before, I always just use my two fingers. That's awesome because using two fingers for 30 years, that's what people need to know. Because I, I think that's one thing that bothers me right now about the witch talks and about Instagram is they make these folks feel like you have to spend thousands of dollars to be yeah. able to make magic. So yeah. I love that you just bought your first athame because <laughs> you don't need a hundred dollar athame to be able no. to do magic. Your two fingers are just as good as what you bought at a shop or on a catalog or the evil Amazon guy. No, exactly. And just the two fingers, the pointer and the middle finger, just in case, because that's how, <laughs> because that's just how it was always done. And then mm-hmm. the other thing is we were taught 
the pentacle in different directions to either, you know, banish or attract one of the elements. So that's so much easier when you can just, you know, do it really quickly with your two fingers or create a pentacle, you know, prior to, to putting a spell on it, you just draw it out. Like that's just, we learned the gritty way Yes, where you, where you, you didn't, get all the tools because you were waiting for the special one. We didn't have what is available now back then. Yeah. That's the other thing. We didn't have access. So we learned that if we can't buy a special cauldron, then we hold our womb. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and and point the two fingers or whatever it is. And I think that's (laughs) a big difference in, like you said, in the beginning, it was all Wicca. And, and that didn't exactly sit perfectly right with everybody. We didn't all fit into that mold. It was your only option at the time. Right. The only easy option. But there were other ways to learn, other people to learn from. And because of learning by doing and learning from people who followed magical traditions that weren't Wicca, that, that really helped us to grow. And because of that learning by doing and by repetition and from people who followed traditions that weren't Wicca, we could use these other tools. We could know that you can use garden shears or a pencil or whatever instead of anathema. You know, you can right. use something mm-hmm. different for that, what works for you. And and I love that in your, your new book that's coming out, In a Box of Magic, it, it just reinforces the idea that a teacher can help with that. You know, books can take you so far, but a mentor right. or a teacher can take you that much further. And I love that in your book, you you... I won't give it all away, but you talk about your mentor, Connie, and I absolutely fell in love with her in this book. You, at the time that you met her, were an accomplished witch. You had two books under your belt. You have been doing rituals and spells on your own and with other people for a while. And here you are, a neophyte, learning again. An initiate. An initiate. Mm -hmm. And We've been doing this for 30 plus years and we're still learning. It's a lifelong learning process. And it, yeah. I just love that you share that experience, that whole hero's journey of going through this, you know, at a, at a time in your life when you're already a quote unquote expert, you know, and, and now you right. get this new learning. And I, I just love that idea of having a mentor and being with someone because we could use that at any stage in our lives. And do you have any mentors now or, you know, anything you want to share about, you know, your journey with Connie? Thank you so much for all of that. And that was my that was my number one intention because I felt as I re-entered the witchcraft or as I entered the techno witchcraft, you know, online yeah. witchcraft realm um, with the book of spells, I realized because someone asked me, like, well, what made you think it was a good idea to put out a new book of spells? And I thought, oh honey, <laughs> this book is around you think for I would why would it not be a good idea would be my right. rebuttal, but yeah exactly but I was like oh I I went with the the Capricorn indifference of darling this book has been out since 2001 you know? <laughs> but, but, <laughs> um, it's like I'm not new to this I'm true to this but I I felt that for me I really wanted to show so many times you know you look at the the books are important and some people are learning through memes and that was great because I feel like it allowed witchcraft to grow at an exponential rate. Made it but accessible. now it's, yeah, it made it accessible, but now I feel like it needs to pull back a little bit to make it authentic. And, and, yeah. and there's that, like, let's just pull this back a little bit because if I don't, I'm not going to tell you every crystal that I think is associated with air and I'm not going to memorize every herb that, Apollo would have carried around with him like that's just not but it's also whether I live it and I really felt that's what Connie taught me was not about spouting it in some rote memorization but but living it and applying it and it's to me you know when like my publisher recently just said oh take a picture of your altar. My first thought is we don't do that. And then I'm like, okay, people do that today. So I'll just create an altar to take a picture of, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And that to me is different rather than taking, you know, having you ha- taking a picture of, for example, I was able to capture my last moon cycle on this red cloth. And that red cloth holds my most precious stones that sits on my inner altar like the inner inner altar i know for those of us who've been around we have the altars people can see the altars that are the inner inner <laughs> yeah, altar which is, which is what makes this whole internet thing kind of weird because i get it it's like i don't want i don't want to post that that's that's my altar stuff but in yeah. the same respect you gotta you gotta post something yeah and i feel like 
having that intentional and sharing what I'm comfortable with and, and saying, you know what, this, this image of, of the sacred cloth with my sacred blood, isn't something I'm going to share, but I'll share with you the process of making lilac oil. Right. I'll share with you, you know, how do I draw an athame in an earth banishing way and an earth invoking way? How do I, you know, I can show you those things that I learned sitting at Connie's knee. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's what's important about is in the application, because yes, I was in that position of, you know, two books, but my marriage was falling apart and I didn't know how to apply my spirituality to my life. And I needed a mentor for that. Yes. We need someone sometimes to make those connections. Yeah. And, and to know if you're doing a ritual for yourself and you reach for, you know, a clear quartz instead of a rose quartz, you know, to trust your intuition, to trust why you did that and to know that there's a reason for that. And sometimes we can doubt that if we're by ourselves. So having a mentor. Or you have no one to mentor, you have no one to talk it out with, especially as, as, Myself and other women that I know, our way of processing is through communication and is through our relationship and it's hashing it out. I don't think it out. I talk it out. And so having a mentor who's 20 years older, you know, I had just, I was just exiting my Saturn's return and she was first and she was entering her second, you know, so she had the shit or get off the pot moment and I had the, who am I, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. And so I feel like her should have cut off the pot moment was making sure that her legacy would continue, making sure that this legacy would continue this idea of empowering women and each other. And I, I get stuck with that a lot. Uh, The women part, I, you know, forgive me if I say something that's offensive to anybody who is non-binary for me growing up in the seventies, it was important to raise awareness of the power and the of nurturing women of um, beautiful, strong women in whatever shape they want to show up, but valuing women and bringing back value to women to me was why I loved Wicca so much because it placed the God and the goddess on the same pedestal. You just hit on one of my (laughs) biggest things because (laughs) In at that time in the eighties, when when I first started finding goddess religions, it was such a revelation. It was women. Uh, Starhawk's book was like, "What? Holy cow! <laughs> women are wild and wonderful. Periods are not dirty. Sex is not dirty. We can right. own ourselves and our bodies. And God and goddess are equal and and divine feminine. And this yin and yang. And we all have equality." Was wonderful it was it was invigorating it was what we needed at the time you know the the womb and the the vagina and all of it we were claiming all of this and owning it Mm -hmm. and it was so powerful and it's a little exclusionary now we know that now but at the Mm -hmm. time it was necessary we needed that resurgence i think to kind of find that footing and now we do need to be more inclusive with everyone and i think a lot of paganism is perfectly situated for that because we do accept that we all have all these different energies, the giving, the receiving, however you want to call it within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And however we express that is fine. But I just love hearing, you know, it was such a, it was such an amazing revelation at the time to know that a woman, a goddess could be that powerful because we grew up in such a, well, I grew up in such a very oppressive Christian, you know, idea and it and i think this is such a you know just it was amazing so i just love hearing your experience kind of mirroring that to feel that goddess within you and shell what about you regarding this topic jamie i was just when you were telling when you were telling that experience all i could think of is the three of us are from a generation where probably in 1982 we're running around the kitchen while our mothers were singing that song i am woman hear me roar Uh uh-huh helen ready helen i have the album So, you know, you know, and and that's kind of what it was. We were kind of the first generation of females that we were going to do what we wanted, how we wanted and when we wanted, because our mothers kind of had it, but kind of not. Right. And, you know, I remember being that eight, 10, 12 year old with my mother screaming at the top of her lungs around the house. I have a woman hear me roar. Oh, yeah. And I love it. Exactly. 100%. 
<laughs> so so when you were saying that, all I could think of is that song. <laughs> I, I equate everything to a song. It's how I Oh am. yeah. Oh yeah. No, that that and you know, the other song, the other speaking of albums and whatnot that that opened up that idea of equality was free to be you and me. Yeah. With Marlo Thomas and just this idea of that it was so new to explore that William wants a doll. You know, or it was so amazing that Atlanta. Or that Mary could- was going to have a job and live on her own in her own apartment without without yeah. Ken living with her. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and that all, all these different things, but also finding that balance of like the one that girl that was always squeaking, then she's the first one they got you know fed to the lion. Like finding that balance because gender spirit does not have gender, but there is this expression of an in breath and an out breath. So even as we are still so producing and we have a hard time being an introspection, that's still the goddess energy that hasn't been fully accepted by everybody that we're still pushing for. So you might not call it the divine female, but it is her energy, the dark, the introspection, the winter that we still have to honor. And now we've swung that pendulum with our our shadow and everyone's looking for their shadow, like they're Peter Pan on the loose, you know, where is it? (laughs) (laughs) And for me, the shadow is, is more of a portal. It's an opportunity to see things differently, to enter a new realm. See, everybody talks about shadow work today. Like it's, it's a new revelation. And and Jamie, maybe, maybe you'll feel me on this one. Layla, not so much. Um, you want shadow work? Get divorced, friends. You'll right. have the shadow work period of your life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it kind of seems like a hot topic now, but I feel like I went through a lot of that back several years ago when you're trying to, for the first time, make your way by yourself with your kids. There's some shadow. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. some shadow work. And I think that, and, and Layla was a part of my life at that time. If I didn't go through that deep, dark shadow work time, I probably wouldn't be who and what and how I am today. So for the people that are seeking shadow work, you are better on the other side, but it's painful. But for me, and I and I know that that yours is a similar story. You want some shadow work, divorce will get you right there. Right. Divorce will get you there. Death will get you there. Debt will get you there. All the things that really hurt. And we know we don't look for the shadow because we know it'll find us. You know, Mm -hmm. we're like, he's out there. But like you said, that was one of the things in uh, my book, The Enchanted Diary. I was able to ask this class of Waldorf kids, what was something that happened to you that if it hadn't, that was painful at the time, but if it hadn't happened, you wouldn't be who you are today. Exactly what you said, whether that was being teased or having a emotionally unavailable parent or, you know, whatever the story is, it's, you know, it's a feeling of loneliness or a feeling of betrayal or a feeling, but the feelings pass, but the stories is where we dwell. But I don't think people realize nowadays that that right there is shadow work. They think yeah. it's some glorious, mysterious, mystical land. And it's really you picking up the pieces of your shit show life. Yeah. And accepting yourself. Yes. Right. And, and ex- moving past it. And moving past it and accepting integrating. And integrating. I owe you a Coke now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we, we've kind of touched on some other topics with your with your older books. And one thing that we definitely wanted to touch on with this new book, um, A Box of Magic, is we want to talk a little bit about ancestor work with you because Layla is very deep into that right now and you touch on it a lot. So we want to get some some thoughts on ancestor work. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I have a lot of story with that. I am literally, the next book I'm writing is about my grandmother from five generations ago. So, and I, and the reason I'm doing that work is she was after my first grandmother, she was the next grandmother who spoke to me. So we moved to this land, I mean, this little house and um, in Orange County and right like two blocks away, an ancestor had built the first Adobe in 1806. So those were the ancestors that that were talking about me that close. These were the ancestors that were talking to me. So I was always hearing their voices, always wondering what was going on. And their story is, is big. They were the Californios who came to California. They were the Spanish and Mexican army and uh, ministers who came to California to colonize California and create the mission system that decimated 90% of the indigenous population. So I 
you wake up and you, and I had these strong witch tendencies. I was, I would go to the Bowers Museum as in, in the book. And I ask about, you know, could I be, because you couldn't, didn't have ancestry.com. You had to order birth and death certificates to find out any information about your ancestors. You had to feel into them, find their graves, sit there, you know, on Dia de los Huertos or Halloween and, and, and give them some tequila and some, you know, marigolds and go talk to me. What do you got? You know, I have this feeling, but I don't have enough information. I feel like you want me to heal something, something in this land, something that happened, but I need more information. Why can't they speak more plainly? The ancestors, my goodness. I don't know. They're speaking a different language is what it is. Yes. And it's a vibrational language, right? That's it. They're speaking the vibrational language and we need to, whatever, maybe sometimes get out the prejudices that we have of, oh, how could that be my, my uncle? He was a gambler. He wouldn't be talking like this, you know, whatever the story is, you know, letting them come in. Or your pre- they come in. preconceived notion. Yeah. Of what and who they are and whatnot. Right. So I feel that I myself am very pulled and have been for 40 years. I've been researching my ancestors for 40 years. So I'm very pulled to learn out, learn who they are, what they're doing. Why, why do they keep talking to me? What do they want? And I feel like you can do that just like anybody else though. I think sometimes we tend to think of ancestors as the holier than thou, like, like they're more important than our children almost, or more important than our jobs Mm. that you, if you're, if you're called to do ancestor work, then you're supposed to drop everything. Well, I don't think that's true. I think there comes a time like these ancestors at first I glorified them. And then I realized they were colonists. And then I hated myself for thinking that I had adored a colonist. And then I'm like, how do I decolonize myself? When did I do that? You know, because people would say, oh, you are early California, the California Dons and Donas, like the Fandangos, or you're like royalty. I mean, people tell you that from the time you're eight, eight years old, you start to go, I'm royalty. Sure. And it made it and it made it easier to walk through Orange County as a hippie when you could tell them that you were royalty. You know, I mean, you played their game of status. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then there comes a time I feel that the ancestor work can drain you. And I don't feel like today we give that enough credit because if they're pushing at you, heal this, heal this. We did wrong or we were done wrong by and we want our stories told. And, you know, this, this and this You can only do so much on this plane at a time. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's really important. I feel like ancestral work is super important. That's what I'm doing. That's my goal to read, to write this book. It's not going to write any wrongs because you can't bring back people, you know, that you've lost. You can't bring back culture or language once it's lost. And I also believe that theirs was a time that I need to explore for some reason, and it's going to break something open in me. Diving back into 1839 is October 1839 is what I'm writing today um, to dive into a certain flood at this river at this time to close my eyes and see it and be able to just describe what I'm seeing is such powerful work. It will release something in me, but I have to monitor my energy on it. And I really think that's important for people doing ancestry work. Yes. You you had mentioned something at the beginning of, of our talk where as you were being born, your grandmother had passed and you met in that liminal space between here and there. And that really kind of not necessarily fed or or created this in you, but it helped keep that conduit open for you. And to the point where you had to learn to shut that down a little bit. And I think what you're saying here with it being very much an energy drain, some people don't necessarily know that, you know, they, and they'll keep giving and giving and giving. And I think learning to say no or to set boundaries magically or otherwise is a very important lesson. You said your grandmother had taught you a little bit how to tell them this is my space, you know, you can't, right. you can't come in. And I, I think learning that is an important lesson at any age. At any age. You have to treat it like a telephone. You know, you don't always <laughs> pick up the phone when it rings. Well, you know, when it comes to spirits, you don't always pick up the phone when it rings. Exactly. And, and, and it also is like an idea that we'll find birth through, through somebody else. So if you keep saying no, then it, that information might go to your cousin. I might go, you know, wherever else. So, you know, for me, that's how I feel. So at this point, I just recently, ancestry work, I found her name, finally, you know, Maria Espiritu de Santos. Um, so I was like mother of most high. So when I, I went to Spain this uh, spring and I they told me there was this big church 
it was the most, you know, it was Mary of the Most High, Maria Espiritu de Santos. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to go here. So you follow, right? You follow your instincts. You go to the church. And I said, okay, I think you're the grandmother I'm supposed to write about. If you are, I need you to give me a sign as we do. Right. Right. And so I'm on the way on the plane, right home, bing, a note from ancestry.com. And there is her picture. I have looked for this woman for decades, the last daughter of the dawn. I've been looking for her for decades and she's like, here I am. And I'm like, shall receive. Exactly. Because divine timing, which is the other reason that doesn't always get included in the spell work of today, that you are not manifesting alone. You didn't get that parking spot all on yourself. You know, that was something by working with the universe and working with divine timing. And that's when you parked there because that's when the universe in its harmony needed you to park there. And that to me is so important to recognize that we are, you know, and we say it all the time. We're part of the web. We're part of the unity. We're part of, you know what I mean? And then we're like, and I got this, you know, like, right, so. right. It's, it's it's more working with, you know, recognizing yes. the the energies that we're that we're working within. We're not manipulating them, or I'm not doing this. It's it's I am working with the energies of the universe, with the energies of these other living things to create this reality together. You know, not yes. yeah. I'm not imposing my will. I'm asking for help, and I'm working with you. Oh, manifestation. Yeah. And I feel like that's really important for herbs, especially because people will say, you know, I used um, lavender in the spell. I used, you know, I used cannabis today, whichever it is, you know, you they might worked say, with. you worked with, you know, and I find, I feel that that's why ritual herbalism is part of that, of the title of this book. And that's really not any different than green witchcraft with the exception of something I would add that I don't know is always in green witchcraft, but is this reciprocity of of respect with the consciousness of the of the plant world and the alive world and our na- and nature to really we're all say, over here nodding yes yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to, because it, yeah it's it's so important because i would never say i used layla and shell for a podcast right because we know magic is in the relationships like if, if you have a plant ally you're just going to go to basil every single time or if you have a favorite crystal wand or a favorite cup you like to use even like to make it mundane you know Jeez, rosemary just entered the chat here so called out a little with favorite herbs good gracious <laughs> exactly but but the thing of it is just like you were saying earlier about the longevity of the practice and how it deepens within you when you started working with rosemary 30 years ago it meant one thing to you exactly. and then every time you put it on an altar it it gets a n- another nuance can I tell you a secret, Jamie? Yes. 30 years ago, I thought rosemary was just a crack of junk because it was found in the kitchen. And I thought because you found it in the kitchen that it wasn't really magical. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> learning and growing. Yeah. 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 You, you, take, you take for granted the stuff that's around you, I think, sometimes, especially back then I was so new. I didn't know. I thought, well, this is in the kitchen. It can't be good. Well, because we always felt that magic had to be worked for, like in this really hard way. And now I realize that it's a staple. Yeah. And that's part of that stages thing. Yeah, no. And and, and the stages, like, yeah, like if you said, said, I'm a witch at 11, it means one thing. At 22, it means something else. 34, 75, it all means Halloween's going to mean something different every time. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to deepen in you. And that's the relationships. Like you'd ask a friend to take you to the airport. You wouldn't ask a stranger. So that's true if you're working with deities as well. You create relationships with them. You build an altar for them. You bring them water or flowers or wine or honey or whatever. So that when you're ready to call on them, you've already got the relationship. Right. Yes. I love that so much because I I feel that so much working with with anything, with crystals, with tools, with, with herbs that you're familiar with, that sense of reciprocity, that sense of of we are in this together. We're a team here, you know, and okay, Lavender, I right now I feel you're a very happy herb and yeah. we're going to work with that aspect of you. And the herb will say, okay, or it'll say no, and you'll move to something different, you know, but you can listen to them. And as an herbalist, there's been times where I've been like, look, 
this is all I got. I need you to help me with this. And I know this isn't really your job. You know, I feel like I'm asking somebody at work to do something they should. I'm like, I know this isn't your job, but I really need you right now for this. I've done that more times than I can imagine. Right. Or the time when you're like, you're walking in like the in the kitchen, let's say, right? Or in your yard and you're like, who is calling me? And then you like, and then there's the chamomile. You're like, oh, I do need to calm down. You know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I that's the thing I like to say too, is that they can call to us as much as we call to them because yeah. we're all in it together. Because it only behooves the plant world to wake us up you know, <laughs> and have us see that reciprocity and be responsible. It's a mutual relationship. It's not, like you said before, it's not us using, working with. And when you work with, that is a give and take on both ends. Yes, yes. And recognizing um, that, like you said, that they that if you have that relationship, you can say, okay, I know you are normally a purifier, but today I need you to do protection. So figure right. out how to purify the space that protects me. and we'll, we'll get this done on our end. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And finding that harmony, I think as, as witches, as pagans, as heathens, we look for that harmony with other people, with, with spell aspects or components or the natural world. We were looking for that harmony. We're trying to work together. And, and I know you also work with uh, environmental activism that you're very active in that. I saw on your bio that I was looking at um, that you have, launched every last drop. Tell me what that is. Talk to me about okay. every last drop. Okay. I'll talk to you about that. Thank you so much. I, um, as a witch, I believe we are all activists because we honor the four directions and we honor the elements and we honor the, the water. That's always been very important to me. I live in Southern California and then I moved up to the Eastern Sierra and I, like a lot of people had heard about the water wars from the, from the turn of the century out here in California. And everyone just thinks, oh, that's old history. And, but it's not because they're currently, the city of Los Angeles intimidated a lot of people to buy the land that would include the waterways from the water coming out of the Eastern Sierra and bringing it 300 miles South to Los Angeles. I didn't realize that what it was creating a firestorms up the potential for firestorms up here, arsenic from Mono Lake, once the uh, water is drained and the audacity that 70% of that water they take is for their lawns Mm. just made me. Yeah. Like it just made me so upset with the injustice of it. And it just being a David and Goliath story, which you know, I'm kind of a sucker for those. So, so I, so I wanted to be part of building that awareness in Los Angeles. So I started a newsletter with the um, Keep Long Valley Green Association. And this is an, an organization that brings together ranchers who have been here for four generations, but they originally stole the land from the indigenous people here. Mm-hmm. But the indigenous, the, the indigenous tribes, the Paiute and the Numu, they are here and bonding with these people that four generations ago, there was a lot of bloodshed and a lot of heartache. And they're, they're working with the scientists who are working with the environmentalists who are working with, it's, it's the most diverse range of environmentalists. It's people coming together that would normally not fight together, but they're fighting together for justice and for water. And so, and the irony is those same people from Los Angeles will come to these areas and, and vacation here. And they have no idea that they're creating, that there is this love hate relationship. They're completely oblivious to it. And so I wrote this newsletter, but I was starting to get so mad in the writing of the newsletter with the um, there's like, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has 1300 wells in this area that and they're constantly they haven't completed the mitigation that they were required to do from 1971 from some of these and or was it 91 I might be lying I says I saw shell it's been a very very long time and I'm just thinking that's older than me I know (laughs) they get to just keep lying and, and have bigger lawyers and they have an entire floor dedicated to their lawyers to fight fight for water that's that is destroying an ecosystem so that they can have fake lawns in a desert. It's just so frustrating to me. So I was getting so angry, kind of like almost like if you do the ancestor work and you realize your family was slave owners and you start to feel really bad about something that you weren't even alive for, like that's when your ancestry work is is, is hurting you and you have to do something different. If you, can't, you have to pull back if you can't pivot. So 
that's what I decided I had to pivot. So then next to me, my neighbor had started this newsletter. I was so proud of it. And I was starting to get angry, like where you're kind of when you're fighting the good fight, but you're always a little too angry Mm -hmm. and you can't let it go. And I realized that I was getting to that point and I could feel it because one of the first idioms I ever remember hearing was anger corrodes the vessel that contains it. So I didn't want to be that person that was holding onto this bile, but I didn't know how to shake it. And then our neighbor next door, he ripped out a lot of like six or seven pine trees that were just huge and all this native vegetation and put in 7,500 acres of fake lawn. And we, the John Muir wilderness begins like two houses at the end of the cul-de-sac. It, it was, it was bringing the suburbs literally to the wild. Horrible. And and I was getting so mad at him. And I I was just filling up with so much anger from writing the newsletters and having all the details to seeing it happening next door to me. And then one of my friends said, you know what? We have that murder mystery dinner play here in town. Why don't you just write the next play and kill him? (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Wicca means wise or to bend or shape the unseen forces. I was angry, an unseen force. I was getting to the point where that anger was building up inside of me and hurting me. And I decided I wanted to pull back, but I couldn't. So I pivoted and I wrote a satire and I played the wife so I could be the most obnoxious person who is the onceler's wife who just disregards things and throws them and that was another level of activism because we could introduce that these ideas these stories are still going on and through satire you can say almost anything like the simpsons taught us that you know (laughs) so you know and then then new shows to keep taking it to the next level but the fact of the matter is that's magic to bend or shape the unseen forces. So you do your activism and you go where you can. And if it's hurting you, you have to recognize when it's hurting you and when you need to pull back or pivot. Right. You know, and so that's what I did. And that's part of my activism was to be part of that. And I, you know, I work for the, the land trust and holding land. And then just recently we were able to buy an old cannabis farm and turning it over in a responsible way and bringing it back to the forest and back to the land and ha- back to real homesteading. And now that's kind of my next version. It's not a fight. It's living the dream because sometimes we're on the front end and we're, we're fighting and we're fighting the baddies. And then sometimes we're like, okay, I fought a bunch of baddies and now I've got a pantry full. So you know what? I'm going to go sit down and you got this. I love how you talk about transforming that energy, taking that energy that you had that felt like it, it was corroding you from the inside out because we can't stop these big corporations by ourselves, but we can do smaller things. You can pivot, like you said, and turn that energy into a satire that woke other people up, that brought people awareness to this. You could channel that energy into another way to purchasing land and turning that, bringing that back to the forest. You know, you, you're doing what you can in your place and in your ways, you're sending that energy out in a very positive way and and transforming it to help yourself, to help the land and to help teach other people. And that's powerful. That's magical. Yeah. And there's so many different ways. I mean, they're little mundane ways too. Like we have here in California, we have adopt a highway signs and I've seen them in other States where, so I had one right here where long Valley is this area where I live, where they need, we need to get a, an agreement from Los Angeles department of water and power that they won't suddenly turn our water off or they won't divert it away that we would not have water for our wells. So we're trying to get them to have this agreement and they don't want to, they don't want to abide by it. So I had, so when, when my partner who, who works for the road department saw, oh, there's an open sign here for, for keeping the highways clean, I got it for our Airbnb and I held it until I could hand it over to keep Long Valley green. Yes. So there's there's so there's different things that we can do because it's we need to change the way we look at the earth and the way we respond to her. And we're gonna do that through tourism. We're going to do that through business. We're going to do it through literature. We're going to do it through email newsletters and plays and finding as many different creative ways like water itself. That's the other thing is anything you're trying to save embody its properties. Water will move anywhere. So be flexible. 
if that's what you're trying to work to save, you know, if, if it's the trees, if it's the earth and you're going to, you're going to do your work with that steadiness. Stand your ground. You know, yeah. And stand your ground. And I, and I feel that the elementals are just like, yes, yes. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it because we're not going to get there until we all elevate in our consciousness. And if we are those forerunners that are showing, this is how you live with water is when you realize it's not going anywhere to divert it, move it around it. So that was the thing with water, right? I couldn't really retreat. Water doesn't really retreat unless it was a tide, you know, but I can Then it comes right back. (laughs) Then it comes right back again anyway. So yeah. You've got my brain going in so many different directions. There's so much I could talk to you about. I just... I really enjoyed your book. I very much liked how it was a story. You you didn't, it was mm-hmm. not just a, a recipe book, which is great. I like those too, but this was very nice to read. You you told a story through the whole thing and there's, there's spells and there's magic and there's ritual hidden or not so hidden in the stories as, as you're reading it. And this, this whole journey that you went through, it, it just, it's mirrored in so many people's lives. That whole idea of, you know, you came here a little broken in the beginning, a little lost, a little searching, and, and you find that strength and you find other people and you go on this journey. And we're all kind of doing that right now, I think. And but what I like the best about your book is I feel like it's dual authored and you're being taught by two people, which I think was part of your intent. Yes. Um, I actually think I might've read that in the introduction that that was part of your intent. Um, but you really get that sense that it's Jamie and Connie giving you this information. Yeah. She's there. She's totally there. She's a hundred percent there. And I felt like that was a really important thing to do is to give people someone who's in their thirties and kind of like, Oh, what do you think? What do you think? You know, a little ticker bouncing around, you know, like, well, this spell work. What if I use this alphabet? What if I use this? And you're like, it's you, it's in you. What if I use this pen? What if I use this sword? It's in you. It's in, you know, and then at the 55 year old who had, who was saying like, baby girl, you know, like you got this, like just hold yourself steady and, and push your energy through. And I, it was so important for me to, like you said earlier, to see for people to see that you will always be growing and that you will always want that that someone who can reflect back to you what you can't see in yourself and I felt like that was really important I wanted to kind of have people kind of come away with that feeling of do I need a mentor right now or am I a mentor you know who do I go to and also recognizing that asking for help it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength because it means you trust. You have that vulnerability. You have that strength to be vulnerable, to trust that reaching out will be met by the universe. And for you, it was. It was. But I, I really wanted to give people someone else to that, that kind of grandmotherly figure back to the grandmother, back to the, for me, what it means to be, in a lineage of strong women, but strong people who identify with the nurturing, with the quiet, with the introspection, that quiet strength. That's, that's what I really wanted to emphasize. So for me, it's kind of like Tuesdays with Maury, because you might remember that one, (laughs) but the exception of it being two witches, you know, instead of, (laughs) instead of two scholars or two men, it was, it's two female witches and the power of female friendship. And I really want to that power, that potential of female friendship. I mean, look at you two, how you have held each other up over a few decades here to become this empowered. And then to have someone who's seen everything you've been through and look at you and go, you rock. You're still here. You kept reinventing yourself. Even when it was hard, you kept going. And there's someone who's watched you on your journey. That's it is so empowering and it feels like you're so loved and you belong at least to someone. And I want people to have that sense of belonging to themselves, to their magic and, you know, to a book that can make them want to connect. Thank you so much for sharing Connie with us and sharing your book with us. I, I felt like I knew her through this and I, I hope everyone gets a Connie of their own. So again, exactly. <laughs> your next book, A Box of Magic, is coming out the end of September. So I loved it. Please run out, get your own copy. It is chock full of personal stories, spells, rituals, correspondences. It's a fabulous book and I highly recommend it. So 
Thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing yourself and your book. We are blessed to have you here today and we do appreciate the time. Oh my gosh. I love connecting with other women who have walked this path because it's for so long and to know why it's important to remind the youthful, which is today, just like we would remind, you know, people of color or people of gender fluidity or people of, you know, whatever it might be that how hard it was to get here means we have to really honor and appreciate it. And I think that's really important because I mean, yes, I was one of those that I'm saying, I'd like you to honor me, but I also want you to honor Shell and I want you to honor Layla. And I want you to, that people to recognize that we are what kept that dream alive so that the internet could pick it up. <laughs> well, thank you. I didn't think of it that way, but I appreciate it. All, all of us witches, especially the witches nowadays, I, I'm loving the growth and the resurgence. It's, it's absolutely amazing to watch. So thank you again, Jamie. And thank you for listening to this episode of Back on the Broomstick. If you could like, star us, subscribe, share, comment, friend us on Instagram, or shoot us an email at backonthebroomstick at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Keep it witchy.